Welcome back, folks, to the Shootout Podcast. I am your host, Alex Moskowitz, alongside co-host, Julian Dubeck. Hello. And producer, The Bake Show. What's up, guys? So, with the Europa League starting tomorrow, we felt it was our duty to get you guys prepared for this European competition and give you our predictions for who we think will lift the trophy in Cologne, Germany. But... Before we give you our Europa League preview and predictions, we want to talk about the FA Cup final between Arsenal and Chelsea this past Sunday. So, Julian, what are some of your takeaways? Well, where else could you start from than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who is well on his way to becoming an Arsenal legend? 22 Premier League goals this year, runner-up in the scoring title, one behind Jamie Vardy in the Prem, and then the two goals in the FA Cup final that proved to be the difference. Um, He's got less than one year left on his contract. I fully expect Arsenal to give Aubameyang a huge contract this year and look for them to bring in some dangerous attacking players as well in the summer transfer window. Um, But in terms of the game, Aubameyang started off the scoring early with a penalty and then finished the game scoring the decider around the 60th minute. Yeah, I mean, he made Kurt Zuma look like a bus. Caught Kurt Zuma so flat-footed on that second goal. Beautiful one-on-one move to get past Zuma and then the composure to dink it over Willy Caballero. Truly the, the sign of a world world-class striker so what about Aubameyang, what about what he did to Asphil Quetta? yeah to draw the penalty really that there were arguments during the game about whether that actually should have been a red card because he was in behind Aspilicueta and Aspilicueta was forced to tug him back but Aubameyang is a stud even at the age of 30 obviously talking about you're talking about him bagging 22 Premier League goals scoring two goals in back-to-back games against Manchester City and Chelsea. And I, I'd like to point, a, point to the fact that really he created most of what was good for Arsenal by making that run in between the center backs, using his pace to get him behind, and that proved to be the difference. I mean, the fact that Chelsea couldn't detect a, a simple run in between their three center backs. Kurt Zuma had his head in the clouds, really. So I think it illustrated the poor Chelsea defense as much as it amplified Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's greatness. Right. I mean, it definitely was a one-man show. And now, now you look, if you're, if you're an Arsenal fan, you're looking at what kind of moves they make in the summer transfer window. I think, personally, I think Lacazette, they kind of whiffed on that transfer. He, he, he paid a lot of money to, for that. He, they, they paid a ton of money. Um, Lacazette absolutely lit it up in Ligue 1, um, but the quality is just not really transferred to the Premier League. Yeah, I agree with you. The question mark, the, the question was under Unai Emery, was that could Aubameyang and Lacazette play together? And we saw when Aubameyang was able to make those runs in behind 
or in between the two center in, in between the three Chelsea center backs, get him behind, kind of play as that central striker. He was a little bit more effective. Right. So Arsenal have problems all over the pitch, especially in the center of defense, and they have tons of uncertainty at center midfield position. physical midfielder who works hard, who has the physicality to play in the Premier League and really transform the middle of the park for Arsenal, I, I jump on that. I say, hell yeah. Especially for a 50 million euro re- release clause, which is pretty cheap in comparison to the other deals being made for similar quality of midfielders. So I think Arsenal definitely should sell Lacazette. I was enthused by what I saw from Kieran Tierney. Left back. Looks like they have their left back of the future. Young kid, 23 years old. I f- have this feeling that Aubameyang is going to get grossly overpaid this summer. And that's going to come back to bite them in the ass in three years. Similarly to how that Ozil contract has been an absolute disaster. But Aubameyang should be very good for the next two to three years. So... He's somebody to build, build around, good attitude, captain already. But Arsenal at least look like they still have some hope, given they were able to get into the Europa League because of the fact that they won the FA Cup. So they'll be able to develop their youngsters. And it looks like they have some direction moving forward. What about Chelsea for you, Julian? Chelsea, I mean, the big storyline here is Christian Pulisic who's looking like an absolute star. Um, He's dangerous on the ball. He's always looking to take on defenders and dribble by them. And it's clear that he's emerged as the key to Chelsea's attack. A big narrative for me, though, has been his struggle with injuries. Uh, In this this FA Cup final, he suffered a hamstring injury in the 48th minute, uh, which forced him to be withdrawn from the match, which at the time was 1-1. So... To me, that stands out that he can't stay healthy. I know he came into the match dealing with an injury. So, I mean, you have, when you have to leave the match 1-1 and then your team ends up losing 2-1, you think to yourself, would the outcome be different if he was still on the pitch? Yeah, I agree, to, I, I agree with you. I mean, Pulisic, since the restart, has been arguably the best player in the Premier League. Looks like the next coming of Eden Hazard. So it's really unfortunate that he had to pick up an injury, especially given that he had had such a great game up until that point. I mean, the goal was fantastic. Starting it off, playing in between the lines, turning, feeding the ball to Mason Mount, continuing his run into the box and having a really, you know, a, a, a... eluding a tackle and then dinking it over Caballero for one nil. But yeah, I think, I think Chelsea, they, they really disappointed me in that, in this game. Like 
I thought they would come out and continue that momentum that they had that they had built up by beating Wolves and getting to the Champions League, finishing in fourth place in the Premier League, having a dominant performance in a must-win game against Wolves. And then we saw what they did against Manchester United when they, when they had their backs against the wall in the FA Cup. Beat them 3-1. Thoroughly dominated them. So I was shocked to see absolutely porous defending, a lack of urgency and fluidity on offense. And I think Lampard, there have to be questions asked of him. Because everybody's been praising him, and rightfully so in my opinion, because he's done a great job in his first year, given that he had no transfer funds in the summer and was relying primarily on young players. But to lose, I would say, pretty soundly to an Arsenal team that has struggled this year. And as we talked about, really starting off well and then just to fade completely out of the game, you have to look at Lampard and why didn't he make some changes earlier? Why didn't he change up the system if it wasn't working? Well, you, I mean, as Pilicueta went off injured, he, he usually goes out to right back if they were to transition into, into a four back and Reese James would come off the pitch. That option went away in the 32nd minute because he limped off with a hamstring injury. And then their best player on the pitch, Pulisic, went off in the 48th minute, as Dubek said. Kovacic got the red card. Very unfortunate. I mean, it, it was just it was just unfortunate game for them. The, the, like, the 50-50 tackles didn't go their way. And, I mean, say what you will about the refereeing. It's, you know, either here nor there. But they, they got a little bit unlucky. Even before Pulisic and Aspilicueta went off injured, they started off the game brilliantly. And then it seemed like they, they turned off the switch. Something in their head, it, it was turned off, that switch. They lacked the focus that was necessary. I mean, this is an FA Cup final. You have to bring your A game. And they didn't have that intensity would be completely expected of a team in their position after they scored. And ultimately, they let Arsenal back in it with that penalty. And I point to Chelsea's defense. The failure to, to detect simple runs in behind, it was egregious. It was schoolboy stuff. Aubameyang kept making that run in between Zuma and another central, another central back in Zuma kept getting caught by it. He showed a complete lack of awareness between Zuma and Christensen, both young players who had a ton of promise for Chelsea, but they're getting up in age now. They're maturing. They're 24 and 25. You have to start asking questions. Is this the finished article for both of these players? So I think Chelsea really need a center back. They've made incredible strides at the in the front at the um at the top of the pitch but they still have major holes to fill at center back the outside wing backs there are a lot of question marks marcus alonso so 
I think Chelsea have a fair amount of work to do. And it's been reported that Lampard wants to sell up to 10 players to raise some funds to invest in a really good center back like Koulibaly or Milan Skriniar from Inter Milan. But I think without reinforcements at the back, I mean, this is a team that out of all the teams in the top 10 of the Premier League, conceded the most goals. Conceded 54 goals in the Premier League. It's fucking disgraceful. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it, de- it definitely doesn't make sense to, you know, stack all these guys that we talked about last episode, Havertz, uh, Werner, and, and Ziyech, up, up top to just forget completely about the defensive line. I mean, you really need to have a, a balanced squad to be competitive especially if you're trying to, you know, make strides towards a Champions League or, or, um, or win the Premier League. Yes. So, and, but let, let's not forget that this is a Chelsea squad that's missing N'Golo Conte, who would normally just pick up most of the defensive burden and responsibility. So, I mean, obviously they'll have him back next year. Well, he's reported to possibly being on Lampard's shopping block. He may get sold because he's 30. He's had a lot of injury problems in recent seasons. Maurizio Sarri last year had trouble finding the best position for him. So I think Chelsea are in the position that Liverpool were before they got Van Dyke, they got Fabinho, and they got Allison. But if Lampard completely reinforces that front line and completely and neglects the back line, it's going to be similar to Liverpool. They're going to have to outscore teams. And they ultimately won't win anything because you have to have that solid foundation in the back in order to actually win trophies. Right. And another major loser for me was Wolves. I mean, Wolves for the majority of the restart, they were competing for that fourth spot in the Premier League. They were competing for Champions League football. I read an article on Bleacher Report about Wolves' plans to conquer Europe, make the Champions League emerge as a contender to the top six. But now they lose on the final day, so they slide into seventh behind Tottenham. And then Arsenal win the FA Cup, so now they're out of the Europa League. No European football for Wolves. And they won't be able to make the required investment that's needed to further strengthen their squad. So I think a huge loser of this FA Cup final indirectly is Wolves. I mean, it sets back their project dramatically for me. So Julian... Obviously, the transfer window is in full swing. So give me some of the recent rumors and recent transactions that have been going on amongst the Premier League elite teams. I mean, you know, obviously I'm looking at this Jadon Sancho deal uh, that's been reported to be in the works. Um, I know United's looking to sign him for about five years. 
and talks are allegedly stalling over a whopping 120 million pound transfer fee, uh, which is, you know, pretty outrageous in a Corona market, especially for the summer transfer window. So, I mean, that's an interesting storyline to follow. Also, yeah, I mean. Yeah, no, I think Sancho, that, that's the main transfer that he's the main target for Man United. And he's arguably one of the best players in the world at this point. So it would be the equivalent of Mbappe going from Monaco to PSG in my opinion, given that Mbappe was one of two players in the top five European leagues to average or to, to compile 20-plus goals in all competitions and 20-plus assists. Like I said in the last episode, the only other man to do that was a guy by the name of Lionel Messi. Right. So pretty good competition right there. And then you look at Man City reinforcing the wing, spot, the wing position with Ferran Torres bringing him over for Valen- from Valencia for a pretty reasonable deal, 24 million pounds. And he's 20 years old, tons of upside, showed a lot of potential for Valencia this season, a lot of pace, good crossing ability. So we'll see where he fits in in, Ma- in Man City's absolutely loaded attack. Loaded. I mean, wh- where are you even going to put these guys? They're just stockpiling assets up right. top. So I think it was a really good move for Man City, to be honest. What and about then, the uh, rumors with Ake coming in and Koulibaly, possibly? Yeah, Man City. Oof. They are, they're, they're sitting pretty, considering that, I mean, their, their whole project, the uh, Khaldun Mubarak's project, the United Arab Emirates, their entire ownership project since their takeover from 2008 was in jeopardy. But the Court of Arbitration for Sport ruled in their favor, repealed their two-year Champions League ban, and only fined them 10 million pounds, which is fucking chump change for them. (laughs) So Man City are sitting pretty, reinforcing that back line that is proved vulnerable for them this season and adding yet another young asset to their wing position. And then you look at Tottenham. It's it's rumored that Kyle Walker-Peters will be going to Southampton in exchange for Pierre-Emil Hoybier. So they're reinforcing that center midfielder position. I don't think it'll ultimately – he won't be a game changer, but he will be a good alternative to Harry Winks. Giovanni Lo Celso and possibly if Mourinho decides to play him, Tango, Tengi and Dombele. What about uh, Jack Grealish? Where do we think a good landing spot for him would be? It's really tough because Grealish to Man United was kind of seen like the more likely deal than even Jaden Sancho to Man United. Right. But with Villa staying up, they're going to stick to their guns in terms of demanding over 70 million pounds for him. And now with United qualifying for the Champions League, it looks like a promising project for Jaden Sancho at United. So United 
don't look like a great option for, they don't look like a great fit for Grealish at this point. For me, I think he has to go to a top six side. I think he would, I honestly think he would fit well at Liverpool because they have an aging front line. I, I think, I think he would do a good job and provide some rest for Sadio Mane, even in that false nine role that Roberto Firmino plays. So for me, Liverpool are a pretty good fit. I think Grealish's attitude has been in question. He broke the lockdown, doesn't have great discipline. So if he goes to a side that is managed by Jurgen Klopp, I think he could take his game to the next level. So I think that would be a good one too. Another interesting rumor with Liverpool or another player that's been linked with Liverpool but still hasn't made that move is Thiago from Bayern Munich. Big Show, what do you think about Thiago? Where do you think he would fit in? Yeah, I know this one is almost a done deal, but I think that Liverpool midfield is so unbelievably stacked that another reinforcement is is kind of just like beating the beating a dead horse. I mean, Naby Keita, I barely see him on the pitch. He yeah. was their he was their second most expensive signing behind Van Dyke, of course. And so, I mean, I would have liked them. I would have liked to see them uh, bring in like another young center back to play behind uh, Gomez, like kind of third in, uh, in that center back position. But I mean, you can't really go wrong with Tiago. He's such a crafty midfielder. He's unbelievably dribbling and passing. And, but I would just be afraid for Nabi Keita that he kind of just like jumps in and kind of sees him get less playing time. Yeah, I personally see Man City as a pretty good fit for Thiago because Guardiola was the one who brought him over to Bayern Munich from Barcelona. They both are fond of each other. He's fantastic on the ball, not as great in defense. And I think he could I think he could fit in well into that midfield, add a little bit of creativity, especially if De Bruyne gets injured. You never know with De Bruyne, obviously stayed healthy this year. Could provide some competition for Gundogan, similar player to Gundogan. So at the right price, I think Man City could be a really good option for him. So from the most recent transfer rumors. Well, before we move on, okay. I, I would love to get both of your thoughts on it. I saw a report today that Wilfred Zaha's Price has been cut down to 30 million pounds. He is 27 years old in the prime of his career, and Arsenal or Chelsea, who are kind of the main targets for him, can get him for 30 million pounds. Just what are you what are your thoughts on that, real quick? I think he would be perfect for Arsenal. I think he would add an incredible dimension to their attack. I think. I mean, he's so great at taking people on. I think he would feel, given that, I think he would feel confident enough and 
in his ability to thrive in an in an arsenal attack. And I don't think I think there would still be some competition with them, but there wouldn't be the immense competition that he would get at a Liverpool, a Man City, even a Tottenham, because Tottenham are pretty loaded at at his positions on the wings with Bergvine and Sun Hyo Ming. So I think Arsenal would be fantastic. I think he would jumpstart their rebuild and he would work magnificently with Aubameyang. I I think that is Premier League defend defense's nightmare, having to deal with the pace of Aubameyang and the dribbling ability and quickness and skill of Zaha. The one thing with Zaha this year was that he his end product was not fantastic. He only scored four goals in the Premier League, which was pretty underwhelming compared to where he was in previous seasons. But he still showcased immense playmaking ability. And he also showed a willingness to track back, which I think Arsenal are now forced to do against the best side. So I think Arsenal would be a really good fit for him. Yeah, and obviously 30 million pounds. I think that's a good price tag for Zaha. He I disagree. He's, he's way more valuable. I'm saying, I'm saying that's a steal for any team that's, that can get him. Completely. Like, I mean, even if, uh, I don't know, even if you need like reinforcements at the top coming off the bench, why not? Why not try a Wilfred Zaha in the price, if the price is right? I agree. I also think he would really improve Everton too. Everton have a fair amount of money in that they're in that little pocket, that little tier, that, that tier below the top six. And I think he would work remarkably well with Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up top. And going to Everton with a world-class manager like Ancelotti, I think he would do really well. So I think Everton and Arsenal are two really good options for him. And Man United get 15% of whatever Crystal Palace sells Aha for. So in Crystal Palace would be getting very little to revamp an aging squad. So I couldn't imagine them selling Zaha for less than 45 million pounds, but that's just my thoughts. So from all the recent transfer windows, we are now going to dive into the Europa League. So Man United are up 5-0 on aggregate against Lask. Seem like a done de- seems like a done deal that Man United are going to advance to the quarterfinals. Then you have Basakir, Istanbul Basakir against Copenhagen. Wolfsburg against Shakhtar. Frankfurt against Basel, Inter against Getafe, Rangers against Leverkusen, Olympiacos versus Wolves, and Roma against Sevilla. So who is your winner of all of those games, Julian? Well, first we got Basakir. They're a 1-0 one, one to zero home aggregate. Then uh, we got Shakhtar, who's a 2-1 – yeah, two to one aggregate against uh, against Wolfsburg. 
they won the Ukraine League by 23 points, and they have a plus 54 goal differential. So uh, definitely a strong side there. We have uh, Basel versus Frankfurt. Basel is up 3-0 on aggregate. I just think that's that's way too big of a deficit to overcome for Frankfurt. And then we have Inter versus Getafe. Um, you know, Inter, we talked about very strong side, probably one of the strongest sides in the Europa League. We expect them to make it all the way to the final. Yeah, I think, yeah, Basakira obviously had a strong performance against Copenhagen. We believe that they will advance to take on Man United. Shakhtar have that Brazilian connection. Ten Brazilians in their squad. Very good team in the Ukraine League. And they, 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 they held their own in the Champions League this year. Finished third in a group with Atalanta, Man City, and Dynamo Zagreb. So that's a good squad. And they already beat Wolfsburg, who's also pretty good. I think they, they finished sixth in the Bundesliga. And they beat uh, Wolfsburg away, 2-1. So I believe Shakhtar will advance and ultimately play against Basel, given that Frankfurt are so – I mean, they're down 3 three nothing. Seems like a lost cause for Frankfurt unless they pull off a Barcelona PSG-type comeback. But Inter, they are an incredible side. They are the biggest threat to Man United to win the Europa League. But they're playing a relatively good Getafe team who finished eighth in La Liga, have some quality up top. But ultimately, I think they'll end up getting the, the victory in there. I mean, they've been really good recently, undefeated in their last eight Serie A games, finished in second. And they have world-class strikers up top in Lukaku and Lotaro Martinez. So I think Inter will get that victory. Leverkusen are already up 3-1 against Rangers. They won away in one of the last games to be played on European soil before the coronavirus pause. And they have really good quality also up top. You know, you talk about Kai Havertz, Leon Bailey, uh, Kevin Volant, all really good players in the Bundesliga. So I think they will easily get that victory. Wolves against Olympiacos. I think Wolves will be extra motivated. They finally got the much-needed rest that their squad required. And I think they'll come out and they'll be – they'll play really well in this Europa League. And then probably the best match of the round of 16, Roma against Sevilla. Roma, the fifth-place team in Serie A, and Sevilla finishing in fourth in La Liga. So they're going to be in the Champions League next year. And Sevilla, they haven't lost since the restart. They've been really solid at the back, keeping a lot of clean sheets. They have a really good defender named Diego Carlos, who has been linked with a bunch of Premier League squads. So I think they will ultimately beat Roma and advance to the quarterfinals. And for the quarterfinals, we have United against Istanbul, Basakir, Shakhtar against Basel, and Inter against Leverkusen and Wolves against Sevilla. So, Dubek, take me through that Wolves against Sevilla game. Well, obviously you got Adama Traore, who's going to lead your Wolves side. 
It's a beast. He's a, he's a one-man show. He's a tank. It seems like every game he's picking it up from his own own 18 and he's bringing it all the way down and putting it in the back of the net. So, you know, definitely a dangerous wolf side. Uh, and then Sevilla, quality, quality La Liga side with a strong midfield. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, Wolves have a lot of offensive firepower. Adama Troyore, Raul Jimenez, a striker who's being linked with Man United, Diego Jota, a really experienced international quality midfield in Jao Moutinho and Ruben Neves. So Sevilla, they have Ever Benegas, a really great Argentinian midfielder. One of the five, one of the top 10 midfielders in the world, in my opinion, has been capped for Argentina so many times. I think the game will ultimately be won in midfield. And I believe that the tandem, the couple of Neves and Moutinho will, will get the better of Benega. So I see Wolves narrowly eking that game out against Sevilla. And then Inter have a tough matchup against Leverkusen. Really, I think this game could come down to whether Kai Havertz plays. Because Kai Havertz is a stud. Scored 17 goals in all competitions this past year. 20 goals the year prior. Also facilitates for his teammates, young kid. And then you have an elusive Kevin Volant, who provided 10 goals and 7 assists in the Bundesliga. So they could definitely pose a threat to enter to Inter's defense. I expect that game to be high scoring. But I don't think they have the defensive stability to compete with Inter. They gave up four goals to Bayern in the DFB Pokal final. So I don't think they will be able to handle Inter. And ultimately, I think the game will finish 3-1 with Inter progressing to take on the winner of Shakhtar versus Basel. And you look at Shakhtar. They have dominated the, the, the Ukraine league this year. Absolutely dominated it. Talked about the Brazilian connection. They drew at Man City. Drew against Atalanta. Atalanta, who has now made it to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Same with Man City, are one of the best squads in Europe. So I think against Basel, who have had somewhat of an off year, they're currently third in the Swiss Super League, I think Shakhtar will get the victory and progress to take on Inter. And then Man U against Istanbul Basakir. I think this is the easiest game to predict of all the quarterfinals. You have arrested Pogba Fernandez, Rashford, and Martial. I don't even know anybody on Istanbul Basakir. So <laughs> with Man United's world-class midfield, Pogba and Fernandez, incredible pace up top. I think Man U will cruise to the semifinals. Definitely. Do you think so? Do you think Sergio yeah. Romero plays in these games? That's will, a great question. Or will still really stick with David De Gea? Ugh, that's so tough. I believe that he will stick with David De Gea because I think this is more about 
I think Solskjaer is undecided about whether he will bring back Dean Henderson from loan and have him challenge, Dean, challenge David De Gea. I think this is basically a trial run for next season. This is an audition for De Gea. And if De Gea performs well in the Europa League, I think he will remain the number one choice at Man United. But I do think Solskjaer has questions of De Gea, and I think he wants to find out answers. So I think he will play De Gea, and it will be a quasi-tryout for next season. I like because that Because Solskjaer has proven to be ruthless. He's gotten rid of guys who don't want to be here, who are on high wages like Alexis Sanchez, who they recently sold to Inter for free. And he has a really great young backup in Dean Henderson. So I think ultimately he will play De Gea, and I think it'll be like an audition. So moving on to the semifinals, great question by Big Show. That's our great producer. But moving on to the semifinals, we have an all-Premier League matchup between Man United and Wolves and Inter Milan against Shakhtar Donetsk. So, Dubek, what do you think about this all-Premier League League action? I mean, I think this is a great matchup. Oh, man, fun. I, I I think United wins this fairly handily. I think really handily. Yes, I think I think we dominate this game in the midfield. I think we control control this game. Wolves will probably end up sitting back. Um, just just looking at how other teams have faced United and caused us problems. I think it's the teams that are patient and don't allow us to, much open space uh, for the counterattack. It's more the teams that sit back and then wait to counter United. But I think I think United keep the pressure on. Uh, yeah, obviously you got arrested Pogba and Fernandez. Um, they'll be the difference in this game as well. Yeah, I think this game. If we're lucky enough to get this game, we're in for a fucking treat. They have played four really close games this season, with both with them drawing three times and Man United winning 1-0 in the FA Cup. So I really wouldn't be surprised if United played a 5-3-2 formation because the problem matchup for me, if you're going up against Wolves, is Brandon Williams, skinny Mm 19-year-old left back for Man United against Adama Traore. Is Luke Shaw Um, not going to be back? No, he... He wasn't even included in their 30-man squad. Williams just got an extension, by the way, through 2024. I saw that. Good deal. Good deal for United. He's showed promise this season. I think he was rightfully rewarded. But I don't think United can leave Williams isolated on Traore. And that's what worries me because Matic is a boss. And I don't think he will get over quick enough to help Williams. So I think what would be smart would be to play in a 5-3-2 formation. Maybe even have Eric Bailly on that side because Eric Bailly is a pretty pacey, good defender. Not great at distributing the ball and constantly injured, but he is good at defending. So you have Eric Bailly helping out Brandon Williams. And I think ultimately United will pull out the victory, but I wouldn't be surprised if it went to extra time or penalties, given that these teams have played extremely tight in their previous format for four games a season. So 
Then the next semifinal matchup, you have Inter against Shakhtar Donetsk. What do you think is going to happen, Doobie? Again, I expect Inter to cruise. Shakhtar, like we said, you know, I mean, you, you highlighted that they're a good squad. I just think Inter, you know, they're, they're Serie A, they're a good team, and they're physical. Um, they're physical, they're pacey. I, I, I don't see Shakhtar hanging with them this game. Yeah, I agree with you. Inter are so strong in attack. Lukaku and Lotaro Martinez. Lotaro Martinez, rumored to be in a hundred million pound or hundred million euro target of Barcelona. Ultimately, Barcelona couldn't afford him this season, but they're going to come back for him because he's that type of player. He's that good. And Shakhtar, they they can score. They can put goals in the back of the net. They have quality, but they were not good in defense in the Champions League. They really weren't. And Inter is the Champions League quality side. I mean, they gave up 12 goals in the Champions League, gave up three in their last game against Atalanta. I just don't think they will be able to slow down this ferocious Inter attack, this well-oiled machine. So I think ultimately the final will be Manchester United against Inter, which would be the dream final. What a game it would be, really. The absolute dream final, the the Manchester United rejects versus current <laughs> United team. So, I mean, obviously, as United fans, we want to stick it to Lukaku, Ashley Young, and Alexis Chan- Sanchez for all the grief, bad passes, <laughs> oh, terrible touches, uh, looking at Lukaku with that one. Um, yeah, just, just all the shit that they put us through. Yeah, I think this this would be a fun one, man. I mean, Man United handed Sanchez to Inter Milan for free. Right. So I think there's a fair amount of resentment on both sides there. The only relationship that was kind of broken off amicably between the player and Man United was Ashley Young because he had been the captain. He had served United well, but Lukaku forced his way out of Man United. Big money move. Sanchez was given to Inter for free because United didn't want to pay the $55 million in wages that they would have had to in the next two seasons. And I think this game, I think it'll come down to the midfield for me. I think you right. look at Marcelo Brozovic and Gagliardini for Inter against Pogman Fernandez. And I just believe that the world-class ability of Pogba and Fernandez will prove the difference. I mean, Inter had a remarkably hard group in the Champions League. They're a really good team, finished second in Serie A. But they lost to Barcelona and Borussia Dortmund, who are good sides. But they all have – they both have strong midfields, and they both have really good quality in attack. So – Really, in my opinion, this game's a toss-up, man. Both teams are so good. I have a little bit of concern about whether Slabhead, Harry Maguire, will be able to handle Lotaro Martinez and the, the pace that he brings. But I do believe that Man United will come out on top just because of the quality that they have at top and in the midfield. 
there's nothing I'd like to see more than Ashley Young whip in 10-plus balls that don't fall inside the 18 in this game. I, I want to see a 2-0 win for United. I want to see Lukaku miss at least three sitters. I want, I want Inter to earn this loss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree with you, man. I agree. It would be fantastic, especially to Alexis Sanchez, who – was probably the worst signing that United has made. And there have been a lot of bad ones in the last 10 years. Yep. Probably worst signing they've made. So we can't wait for the Europa League that starts tomorrow. Man United against LASK, Inter against Getaf. We're excited. And we will be back soon with a special guest to break down the Champions League, which returns on Friday and all the great matchups that that premier European competition has to offer. So thank you so much for listening. We will be back here soon. Take care.